At the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. At the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. I want you to say that with me this morning. At the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. Say it one more time. At the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. And that's why it's so important that we have a correct understanding of our God, right? So important. And so we're in this series that Pastor Pastor Oscar started two weeks ago. He talked to us two weeks ago about the fact that our God is consistent, constant, unchanging. He's always the same. His love is always the same. His forgiveness is always the same. Has always been that way and is always going to be that way, right? And then last week he talked to us about God's omniscience. The fact that he knows everything. And the big amazing truth of Scripture is God knows every single thing about you and still loves you. <laughs> and I would suggest to you, if you knew every single thing about me, your, 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 your love would struggle a little bit, right? And so last week we talked about the fact that God knows everything. He knows what's best for us. And His plans are always for our best. At the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. And so it's critical that we have a proper understanding. I was amused at a survey that was done with high school students at the high school about a mile from where I live. And this took place several years ago now. But students were asked about their idea of God. Who is God? What's God like? To me, God is the person who looks over me and makes sure I stay out of trouble. That sounds like a teenager. God is a person you meet after you die. He determines whether you go to heaven or hell. If you go to heaven, you live with him forever. And I just wanted to hear the rest, uh, you know, the other, the other if, but that didn't happen. Um, God is a figure of people's imaginations, created to help them through sadness and problems. It's an image created by the trouble to solve the problems of nature that are not scientifically explained. Now you know. I think God is the man or woman upstairs. He can bring you peace in your heart. I don't know him personally. He has not saved me because I have not let him. But I know he has saved many others. When I die, I hope to go to heaven and God and go to heaven with God and get to meet him or her. God is the supernatural spirit inside everybody. I don't believe in heaven, but I believe in an afterlife. God is the someone inside of you that makes hopefully the right decisions in your head. I just kind of shake my head when I read these. God is who people look to when they need help and assurance. God, I think, is not one person, but the spirits of all people combined. And then here's the last one. 
If you are wondering if I think he created the earth, I don't think he did, because making the universe in six days is impossible. I do believe in God. I believe he is someone who you can talk to and sort out your life. He is also someone to believe in and have faith in. (laughs) At the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. And I would suggest to you that it's not just high school students in the city of Laverne at Benita High School that have misunderstandings <coughs> about who God is. More times than not, we suffer because we misunderstand who our God is. We don't totally understand who He is. And so part of what our purpose and hope is in this series of messages is to kind of push you a little deeper in your understanding of our God. And so I want you to come this morning to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah is a fascinating prophet in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was from a family of priests, and God tasked him with an impossible mission. Maybe not impossible, maybe that's the wrong word. Uh, Difficult mission at best. Because Jeremiah was tasked with telling the nation and telling the king, King Jedediah, that judgment is coming. And as the book of Jeremiah opens and flows for 31 chapters before we arrive where we're going to look in a minute, Jeremiah has been crying out against the sins of God's people. They have turned from him to worship idols. In fact, the amazing thing is they would go into the temple and worship God in the temple with the sacrifices and everything. And right outside the temple, they had their idols set up. The heathen idols from the Canaanite nations around them. They were morally corrupt, even participating in child sacrifice, offering their their children into the idol Molech and burning their children in flames. And Jeremiah is crying out against the sins of God's people. But at the same time, he's interjected into his message that there's hope. If they would turn from their sinful ways, if they would turn from their idolatry, if they would turn from their immorality, there was hope. And so here's the prophet Jeremiah Screaming about judgment, telling the nation that the Babylonians are going to come and conquer them. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to burn the place down. Total destruction. And then carry people away in the exile. How popular do you think Jeremiah was on a scale of 1 to 10? Zero. There you go. And so as chapter 32 opens, we find Jeremiah in prison. And so, the circumstances of Jeremiah's life are pretty extreme. And so, as I open my Bible to Jeremiah chapter 32, I discover that Jeremiah has been proclaiming this message, and as a consequence, the king has locked him up. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. You all know Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, right? So, one of the things I love about this is a little sidelight that impresses me about God's Word. You can lock up prophets, but you can't lock up God's Word. 
You can put prophets and pastors and preachers in prison, but you can't imprison God's Word. And so here's Jeremiah in prison, and the chapter opens with this declaration, the Word of the Lord came. You can't lock up God's Word. So this message from the Lord comes to Jeremiah. And at the time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of the king of Judah. So here's the circumstances in Jeremiah's life. He's imprisoned by the king because he's been proclaiming this message of judgment. The city is besieged, surrounded by the Babylonian army. They are preparing siege ramps ready to come into the city and destroy it. Jeremiah's circumstances are pretty extreme. And it says he's in prison. Why? Because Zedekiah, king of Judah, has shut him up saying, Why do you prophesy and thus says the Lord? Behold, I'm about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but he shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. And he shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. This is going to get up close and personal. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and he shall be there until I visit him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So how would you like to be the king, in charge of the armies, in charge of the city, and have someone declaring at the top of his lungs, You're toast! (laughs) You don't have a chance! And so here's Jeremiah in prison. Dire, extreme circumstances. The whole entire city under siege. Under siege, what does that mean? If the city is surrounded by the enemy, and you depend on commerce in and out of your city to provide food and other staples and things, guess what? None of that stuff's getting in. The city of Jerusalem had a water system, so unless the Babylonians discovered that and were able to block it, they would have water but no food except for what was already in the city. That's going to become critical in just a moment. So, Jeremiah's circumstances are extreme. You ever experience extreme, dire circumstances in your life? If you haven't, cheer up. (laughs) Good chances are it's coming, right? Life is kind of like that. And so, we as God's people, we experience financial reverses, financial challenges, circumstances where we can't pay our bills, we don't have enough funds. I don't know about the rest of you, but I got a statement in the mail this last week about my IRA and how well it's done in the last quarter. Anybody get a statement on your finances from the last quarter? I hope you didn't hear what I heard when I opened mine up and I saw that my account had lost several thousand dollars. Okay, you too? So it's not just me. (laughs) I'm relieved, thank you. But, you know, we go through those times financially, and it, it increases your stress level a little bit, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Or maybe into your life comes a, a medical condition. 
Something you weren't expecting, something you're unprepared for, comes to you out of the blue, broadsides you. How do you respond to that? What do you do? Well, at the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. It might not be a medical crisis. It might not be a financial crisis. It might be a relationship crisis. You might have a child or a grandchild that's wandered away from the Lord, prodigal. And you're praying and praying and praying and nothing changes. You may have someone you've been praying for to come to know the Lord. You've been praying for months or years or decades. And it seems to you as you observe that that individual is further from the Lord today than he or she was years before. And so into our life come these dire circumstances. And kind of like Jeremiah, what happens to us is there's conflict in our lives between faith and doubt. And so I want you to see that in the story of Jeremiah, because in some ways this is almost comical. Jeremiah's in prison. City's under siege. And the word of the Lord comes to him again. In verse 6. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you. And he's going to say, Buy for yourself my field, which is an Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. <laughs> verse 8 says, Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard. And uh, he wants me to buy my field, he says. Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin. For you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And Jeremiah says, Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field, which was an Anathoth from Hadamel, my uncle's son. And he goes on to talk about taking, that they, they produced two deeds of purchase. They put them in a clay jar to preserve them. So what's so amazing about this? Where's Anathoth? It's outside the walls of Jerusalem. (laughs) So who's occupying that land right now? The Babylonians. And so, I don't know why his cousin comes to him and says, I want you to buy this field. And he wants Jeremiah to buy it as opposed to somebody else because it's very important in that culture to keep the land in the family. You don't want to give it, give it away, sell it to someone outside the family. And so his cousin comes to him, Hanamel, and he says, I want you to buy this field. You have the right because you're family. And in my mind, I'm going, so why does he want to sell this field and why now? And I just wonder, because of the city being under siege, if food is short... What, what happens to the price of food when there's not a lot of it? What happens to the price of gas when there's not a lot of it and we're getting it all from? Yeah, well, that's another story. And so, in my mind, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, so maybe Hanamel is under some kind of financial stress, financial pressure that's pushing him to sell this land that is a critical possession in that culture. He is selling something of great value to him. But he wants to keep up the family. I don't know what the stress is, what's, what the pressure is, but what does Jeremiah do? He buys the land. Why does Jeremiah buy the land? Because why? 
God told him to. Bingo, Linda, thank you. So, here's Jeremiah, and the city's under siege, he's in prison. The land that he's being asked to purchase is under the control and influence of the Babylonian armies, and God's promise is, we're all out of here, we're going to Babylon, King of Babylon's going to take us in exile. Oh, but God also said, I'm going to return my people to the land. In the future, there's going to be a return. And so, Jeremiah struggles with this by the land. This would be like me having a piece of property that sits on top of the San Andreas Fall. <laughs> and coming to you and saying, hey, I've got this great deal for you. Beautiful home, beautiful grounds, you're going to love it. Oh, by the way, it's sits on top of the San Andreas Fault, right? And so there's this struggle that I see in Jeremiah with God telling him to buy the land, but God also telling him there's, there's going to be a future. And there's this conflict in Jeremiah's heart and mind, faith and doubt. You ever struggle with that? Tell me I'm the only person in the room that's ever had doubts and said, Lord, really? This is your will? This is your plan? Why are you doing this? Why me? Why now? I'm the only one in the room that's experienced this phenomenon, right? Thank you, Beth. I'm glad at least two of us are in the same boat. But here's, here's Jeremiah in this struggle. Again, got to keep the context. He's in prison inside of the siege city. His future looks pretty grim, right? And God says, buy that, buy that piece of land out there. So the question that I want to focus on this morning is this. What is it that gave Jeremiah the confidence to buy this land? What is it that gave Jeremiah the confidence to do what God asked him to do? And there's three things captured here in this passage that really speak to me about having confidence in times of difficulty, in times of trouble. Whatever it is that's going on in your life this morning, at the root of every problem in the Christian life is what? (laughs) Misunderstanding of who God is. And so it's critical when you have those times of stress and pressure in your life, where things are not going the way you want them to go and wish they would go, Where is it that you find confidence to put your faith and trust in the Lord? And so there's there's three things here. Jeremiah buys this property. They get the deeds all taken care of. And in verse 16, I read this. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, he has this, this scribe that is writing things down. Actually, we believe the whole book of Jeremiah, Baruch kind of put together of all the writings and speeches of, of Jeremiah. He says, I gave the deed to Baruch, and then I prayed to the Lord. So the deal has been done. Deed is signed and delivered, right? He's now the owner of this property that's out there under Babylonian control. And he says, I prayed, which is probably a good thing to do, right? Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. 
who show us loving kindness to thousands, but repay us the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. And then he goes on to talk about God doing wonders in Egypt and things that God has done. And so there's three things that speak to me here. How do you have confidence in God when the circumstances are really difficult? Well, the first thing that Jeremiah focuses on is he has confidence because of God's character. And I see that in two ways in this passage. First, the names that he uses. He says, Ah, Lord God. Adonai Yahweh. You heard Maggie talk earlier about that name Yahweh. Adonai Yahweh. Lord God. Adonai is the sovereign, the ruler, the controller. Jeremiah is crying out to his God, who he recognizes as being the supreme authority, the sovereign God who is in charge and in control. And that word Yahweh is the name I am. It's God's eternal, self-sufficient, promise-keeping name. And so Jeremiah, in the midst of this conflict, faith and doubt, dire circumstances, says, God, you're the one who's in charge, you're the one who's in control, you're the one who keeps your promises, I'm all in. (laughs) And so it's the names of God that remind him of God's character. And then secondly, it's God's, not only his names, but his nature. What is our God like? And so Jeremiah uses phrases like in verse 18, loving kindness, great and mighty, Lord of hosts. Verse 19, great in counsel, mighty indeed. He is focused on God's character, his names and his nature. At the root of every problem in the Christian life is what? misunderstanding of who God is. And so here's Jeremiah in this struggle of faith and doubt and his confidence is because of who God is. His character. And that's why it's important in this series of messages that we're in that we're reminded of who our God is, what his qualities, his characteristics, his attributes are. Because at the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. And so Jeremiah's confidence is first found because his focus is on God's character. And then secondly, his focus is on God's capabilities. Notice again in verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched star. Our God is capable of doing whatever He chooses to do. Our God is the Almighty, all-powerful, nothing He cannot do God. Whatever He chooses to do, whatever He wants to do, He can and will do, right? And so, Jeremiah says, Lord God, behold, You have created the heavens and the earth. 
So if God's created the heavens and the earth, can he handle what's going on in your life and my life? <laughs> and if you're reading through Psalms with me this year, one of the things I've noticed this month, because as I've been preparing to speak this morning, being aware of this, the, the almightiness of God, it's fascinating to me how often in the Psalms this topic is elevated. In the 121st Psalm, the psalmist says, Where does my help come from? And the answer is what? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the implication is, if I need help, who better to turn to than the person that made the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, and everything else, right? Back in Psalm 8, King David says, when I, when I look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the work of your hands, literally the, the finger play of your hands, when, when I look up and look at all these things that you've created, he says, what is man that you care about him? You see, the magnitude of our God's abilities is so extreme. He has created the heavens and the earth. Can He handle what's going on in my life? Your life? Not only the magnitude of what God has done, but He moves on to talk about the means at His disposal. What, what does God have going on for Him when it comes to getting stuff done? Well, Jeremiah says... You've created the heavens and the earth by what? Thy great power and thy outstretched star. And it doesn't just say power, it says what? Great power. The capabilities of our God are so far above our understanding. He's created the heavens and the earth with his great power and his outstretched star. And so he has confidence because of who God is, his character. He has confidence because of what God has done and is capable of doing, his capabilities. And he also has confidence in God because there are no constraints in God's power. None. You've created the heavens and the earth with your great power and your outstretched arm, and what? There's nothing too difficult for you. Do we really believe that there's nothing too difficult for our God? <laughs> you know, the word Almighty appears in my Bible 345 times. Almighty. 345 times. Now, just take a wild guess. How many of those 345 times is it applied to God as opposed to men? 345. God is the only one that's almighty, right? He's the only one that's all powerful. There's nothing He cannot do. And your Bible is filled with illustrations of this. I can stand here for a couple of hours and just talk about illustrations. Any come to your mind? I love the story of Abraham and Sarah. Here they are in their 90s. The scripture says, well this is my paraphrase, 
My scripture, my, my paraphrase is, you two are old and decrepit. <laughs> but you're going to have a child anyway. One of my bike riding buddies is five years older than me, so he'll be 77 in June. And Don frequently says on our bike rides, we'll meet people who talk to us, and we're all old guys. And <laughs> Don says, yeah, we're old and decrepit, but at least we're out here. Abraham and Sarah were much older and much more decrepit than me and Don. And so God and Abraham are having this conversation in the tent. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to come back a year from now, and you're going to have a son. Sarah's at the edge of the doorway listening. And she hears God tell Abraham, you're going to have a son. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. What does God do? He says, you're going to name your son Isaac. Because Isaac means laughter. And so, every time Sarah talks to her son Isaac, Isaac, it's time for bed. She's reminded, I laughed at God's promise. Isaac, come to dinner. She's reminded, I laughed at God's promise. <laughs> But in that context, again, the scripture makes that statement. There's, there's nothing too hard for God. He can give, even give an old, decrepit couple in their 90s a child. Or you come to the New Testament. The angel appears to a young girl named Mary. And says to Mary, you're going to have a baby boy. And Mary's response is, uh, how's this going to happen? You know, I, I've never known a man. I, how, how's, how's this going to happen? And what's the angel tell her? No, nothing's impossible with God. And those illustrations go on and on and on in the scriptures. You and I have a God who can do anything, everything. There are no constraints to God's power. And I love that verse. Ah, Lord God. <laughs> it who he is. You've created the heavens and the earth. His capabilities. With your great power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too difficult. No constraints. No limits. No boundaries. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. So, if you find yourself in time of circumstances that are very difficult, very hard. Are those circumstances difficult for God? Are those circumstances hard for God? Are those circumstances impossible for God? No, no, no. And so, I think of all this, and, uh, oh, there's so much more, but let's, let's just cut to the chase. So, how do you respond? How should we respond in impossible situations? How should we respond? Well, I, I wrote some notes to myself, telling myself, this is, this is what, how I need to respond. I need to remind myself often that God is all-powerful. There's nothing too difficult for Him. I remember several years ago, Someone challenged me to a 30-day 
Christian music diet. And the challenge was, instead of listening to sports talk radio, which I've long since given up on, instead of listening to sports talk radio, when you're in your car, when you're driving, just listen to Christian music, Christian radio station, Christian CD. So I, I did that for 30 days. And I remember songs like, What a Mighty God We Serve. What a Mighty God We Serve. Or the classic, How Great Thou Art. We sang about God's greatness this morning. You know, we, we need to find ways to remind ourselves often that we have a great and powerful Almighty God. There's nothing too difficult for Him. And whether you find that in music, whether you find that in passages of Scripture, whether you find that in passages you would choose to memorize or meditate on, Remind yourself often of who your God is. Why is that important? Because at the root of every problem in the Christian life is a misunderstanding of who God is. The second thing I wrote to myself, I need to focus on the fact that God's power is tied to His purposes. It all depends on what His plan is, what His purpose is, what He's choosing to do. The scripture says... He's working all things after the counsel of his own will. That God has purposes and God has plans. And guess what? They're different than mine most of the time. The scripture says that God says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. So I don't always get it. Well, let me back up. I never get it, right? God has a purpose, God has a plan, so often I'm trying to figure it out. But He knows. He knows. And then I said to myself, I need to remember that what God starts, He finishes. God is at work in your life and my life. And in Philippians chapter 1, it says that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work accomplishing His purposes, accomplishing His plans, and He's going to keep on doing that. He's going to keep on continuing to do what fulfills His purposes and His plans, not only on a grand scale in the universe, but guess what? On a personal scale in your life and my life. Fourthly, I said to myself, I need to believe that whatever my need is, He knows and is fully capable of meeting it. Whatever I need in my life, whatever the challenge I'm facing, whatever the struggle I encounter, God not only knows about it and cares about it, guess what? He's fully capable of helping me through it. There's caring people in our church family that you could go to. You could pour out your heart and cry out your pain. You could pray together and you found someone who listens, someone who knows, someone who cares. But guess what? Ultimately, there's a limitation to what that person can do for you, right? There's a limitation of what I can do for you. But guess what? 
There's no limitation what God can do. None. I love the little chorus we used to sing. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. I am so picking impatient, aren't you? I want God to fix it now, today, if not yesterday. God has a plan. He knows exactly what I need, and He's going to do what's best. And then I found myself challenged by Jeremiah. I need to find opportunities to take a big step of faith and trust God. I'm not a natural risk taker. My nature is such that I try to preclude stuff that I anticipate could and might happen down the road. Not a big risk taker. But I see in Jeremiah the challenge. Take a big step of faith. What does God want you to trust Him for? He wanted Jeremiah to buy that piece of land out there that the Babylonians were walking on. What's he asking you to do? Is there something that God wants you to take a big step of faith and trust Him with? Psalm 68.28 says this, Summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Summon your power. Show us your strength like you've done before. I love that. So, these are questions I ask myself and so I ask you this morning. Have you been guilty of shortchanging God's power? Have you been guilty in your heart and life of failing to embrace the fact that He can do whatever He chooses to do? He is the almighty, all-powerful God. Maybe there's a need for us to confess our failure to really believe that and trust Him. What challenge faces you today that requires the almighty power of God? Will you give it to Him? Will you put it into His hands? Does your prayer life Evidence confidence in an almighty God. Both the fact of his power, the fact of my prayers, the content of my prayers. A.W. Tozer said this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only things we can do ourselves. God is looking for people through whom He can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only things we can do ourselves. What is it that God wants you to trust Him with this week? What are the circumstances in your life, the challenges you're struggling with and wrestling with, that God wants you to put into His hands with the confidence that He is the Lord God who's created the heavens and the earth with his great power and his outstretched star. There's nothing too difficult for him. 
I want to tell you this morning, whatever it is, whatever those circumstances are in your life, He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all of you ask of And don't forget, at the root of every problem in your life, is a misunderstanding of who God is. Lord, take these words, the words of Jeremiah this morning, take them, penetrate our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits. The Lord, I'm confident that there's many of us this morning that have dire circumstances, difficult times, hardship and struggle. And like Jeremiah, we find ourselves in conflict between trusting you and heading toward panic, despair. And I pray this morning that you would encourage our hearts, lift our spirits with this simple reminder that you are the almighty God for whom nothing is too difficult. Not one thing is too difficult for you. And so Lord, we express our love, we express our thanksgiving, we express our praise to you that you love us, you care about us, you know us intimately, and you are fully able to handle whatever it is that's going on in our life today. And so, Lord, by faith this morning, we we take that, that burden, we take that pain, we take that challenge, we take that difficulty, and we place it in our hand and extend our hand and turn our hand upside down and place it into your hands. Your loving, caring, almighty, all-powerful hands. Lord, we place that challenge, that difficulty, that circumstance into your hands by faith. Giving you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior.
Next Sunday morning is going to be an amazing morning in the life of our church as we officially uh, welcome Pastor Oscar as our new lead pastor. We're going to have just a great time together of celebrating that. We have some guests coming, guest pastors from our district of churches that are going to come and join us for that. You're going to want to be here. It's going to be a great morning. Uh, remember the potluck afterwards. There's opportunity to sign up at the Connect Center uh, to bring something. And uh, so that means not only are we going to have a great time of celebration, we're going to have some serious food to eat. <laughs> so now may the God who created you, the God who loves you, The God who controls the universe and everything in it. The God who has created the heavens and the earth with His great power and His outstretched arm. The God for whom nothing is too difficult. He's going to go with you this week. He's going to walk beside you. He's going to be before you. He's going to be behind you. He's going to be all around you. And so as you go this week, may you go and celebrate the great truth that we shared together this morning. Because He's the nothing He cannot do God. And don't forget, at the root of every problem in my life and in your life is a misunderstanding of who God is. Get to know Him better this week. Get to know Him better. Have a great week.